show, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 183. You are rocking with your host, Matt Labrie, here on Decoding Success. That rhymed, which was a really awesome way to kick off this show. <laughs> to that point, you are joining us for an amazing individual who is bringing her life experiences, her wisdom, her research, and everything in between to be amplified to all of you here today. So, we are joined by Alison Armstrong, who began her human behavior exploration in 1991. That is the year before I was born, so it's a pretty good year. Now, with her decision to study men, she wanted to find out how she was bringing out the worst in them, and hopefully how to bring out the best. Her success in understanding men naturally led to studying women's behavior and making vital connections between the two. Allison distinguishes human instincts that compel both men and women to behave in ways that contradict and undermine our own purposes, goals, values, needs, and relationships. She offers partnership-based alternatives, giving millions of people access to more fulfilling lives, loving relationships, stronger families, and productive organizations. Now, Allison is a sought-after speaker and thought leader amongst people with the desire to live empowered lives. She has the philosophy and approach that is frequently referenced and taught by other authors, speakers, business consultants, and therapists. And today, she is bringing all of that goodness here to the show, Decoding Success, for episode number 183. We are diving into an array of amazing topics, a lot of human behavior, a lot to learn. If you have the ability to pull out a notepad, I would highly suggest doing so, as I did the same myself. I am always a student for these episodes, and I absolutely love being able to help you all learn from them as well. Now, with that being said, we are officially on YouTube. If you have not already subscribed to the show on YouTube, I highly suggest doing so so that you can check out all of the visuals, the video content, the behind the scenes of the show, whether you want to watch it before you go to bed or whatever the case is. Maybe you watch it while you're working. I'm not here to judge whatever you want to do, but we do urge you to make sure that you're subscribing to us there on YouTube. On top of that, if you haven't left a rating review here for us on the audio part of this podcast, make sure you do so, especially if you're tuned in from Apple. I'm not asking you for five stars. We just want your genuine feedback so we know how to continue to guide the ship. But without further ado, we bring to you Allison Armstrong. Allison, super excited to have you. That smile is amazing. Your energy is great. I'm so excited for this. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So first question for you, you actually just asked me the question. And that question is, how do you personally define success? Wow. Um, That is a really big question. And um, especially since I'm a a student of human instincts, Mm -hmm. and for most people to succeed equals to live. (laughs) And to fail is to die. And, um, okay, all right, I'll just dive in. So for me, success is going to be moment by moment. Okay. Um, because when I was 28 years old, I made a commitment that m- made me a failure for the rest of my life. And uh, it's one of the smartest things I ever did. And I can tell you about it if you want to know. So it's really interaction by interaction, right? Did I make a difference? Was I true to myself? Did I contribute to the other person? Did we carve out a little bit more space in in life for what I would think of as heaven on earth? That's my my mission in 
in life is heaven on earth. And um, so did, was this that, was this a little bit of heaven on earth, mm. this moment, this interaction, this way of relating to each other? Those are as close as I would come to success. I love Since, that. Yeah. It, Cause it's not, uh, it's not, a, it's definitely not a matter of what you acquire, mm. right. In terms of, um, in terms of respect or material things or accolades or degrees or knowledge. I mean, those things, they're all cool. From my point of view, they're only, they're only as good as they are useful, right? They're only as good as they impact the quality of somebody's life. Mm. Um, but yeah, when I was 28, I made a commitment that in my lifetime, every man, woman, and child would be fed, clothed, housed, loved, and respected. And you made that commitment? <laughs> I made that commitment. That's yeah. a good one. I love that. It's yeah, it's called an impossible promise. And and the thing about making an impossible promise is since it can't be kept, there's nothing to guard. And so one way to think about my life is it's, it's, it's just one Hail Mary after another, right? That, that pass at the end of the game, when you're behind, right? What the heck? There's nothing else to do. Just, just make the play. Right. And, and so what it did for me more than 30 years ago was just has me be in action, Right. I'm just making the play, making the play, making the play, making the play. And I just keep checking things against my integrity. And because I've already committed to something that makes my whole life a failure, it makes it really hard to manipulate me because that's what people do with success, with the Mm. word success, with the word opportunity. Right. We use it to we use it to manipulate people because people will chase it. Right. And um yeah, so people have tried to manipulate me for a really long time, <laughs> and they find me a really tough customer. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I I will die for my integrity, and you cannot, um, you just you can't detract me with some kind of carrot. So I, I'm curious, why did that make you a failure, though? <laughs> Well, so imagine you promise that by the time you die, every man, woman, and child is fed, clothed, housed, loved, and respected. And at the time, half the human population is considered homeless. Mm. Uh, 28,000 children are dying every day as a result of hunger. Uh, Now we're like at 18,000 a day. Wow. Right? It's still 18,000 a day. Right. So... And if you get, if you look at the human condition, if you look at human instincts and the way that humans relate to each other, what are the odds, right? I'm 60 years old. What are the odds by the time I die? Poverty is eradicated. Nobody is starving. Nobody is, is, is dying as a result of hunger and neglect. Nobody's left out in the rain. What are the odds of that? Right. <laughs> right, right. I totally get that. Yeah. So, yeah. Did, did you pursue that? Right. Like I know that you did and you can educate yeah. me on, I know you, I know you took action and I believe it was Orange County, California with something that I, am I remembering that correctly? 
Well, that was where I was at the time. I was an advocate for the hungry and the homeless. And I founded something called the Orange County Summit for Children. Love that. Um, But I've never stopped pursuing it. I just, my approach changed because as I was working as an advocate for children, it it became obvious in through these several interactions that happened at the time that there was no way we're really going to solve the real problems in the world, the big problems in the world, as long as we're taking each other out, as long as we're as long as we're disempowering each other, diminishing each other, emasculating each other, as long as we're fighting over power, right? Who's, who's got it. Who's got the most, as long as we're being normal human beings, it's not going to turn out. And especially what I was aware of at the time was how the, what was called then the war between the sexes was was like any war preventing anything real from getting done. Mm. And, you know, if you're in a relationship where you're walking on eggshells, you're having to be careful, you say the wrong thing and you, you end up, you know, you might as well be in a blender what's happening to you in that interaction. Um, I don't know what rating your podcast is, so I'm not saying. You're you're good. You're good. You're good. You can say whatever you got to say. Well, most men have to hang their balls at the door, quite frankly. Do you know? It's just uh, compulsive problem solvers, which is most men, um, are left with the problem of how do I get out of this conversation with my own sense of self? How do I get out of this conversation without being chewed up and spit out? How do I get out of this conversation um, literally with my testicles intact? Mm. And it's um, that's where I started, right? That's where I started with, I'd been studying men and going, oh my gosh, here are these amazing problem solvers. They will tackle anything they think is worth doing. Um, they want to give women what we most desire. And if what we really said we wanted the most was peace, right? Or the end of poverty. Uh, and you guys had the wherewithal to put your shoulder to that problem, you would. <laughs> Except for we, what's common, and I, I've been battling it now for 30 years, what's common is to disempower each other. Mm. Not not to, you know, boy, go for it. You're the best. Thank you so much. Instead, it's, what were you thinking? Why didn't you do that? What's wrong with you? Right. So, so that's really where my study of men, which started in 1991, and my work as as an as an activist and an advocate, it it came together. And it was, oh, I gotta fix this. <laughs> I gotta fix the way that men and women relate to men and women. Mm. Um, or we're never gonna be able to fix any of the rest of this stuff. Right. So I mean, when a year ago, a little over a year ago, right, when lockdown, what I I call stuck in the cave (laughs) (laughs) happened, um, you're lucky, Matt, that at the time you weren't married, (laughs) since I assume you weren't, since you're not now. Right. Uh, Imagine, like, locking a cat and a dog in a house together and never letting them out. Um, 
we literally have opposing instincts. We bring, we, we this is going to sound funny, but we naturally bring out the worst in each other. That's just so natural. It, it's not personal. There's nothing wrong with you or me or men or women. We just literally have opposing instincts and we're unaware of it and we take everything personally. Um, and so even our, I call it false cause, right? So what we, how we interpret things and what we blame for things not working is so far from the truth that it renders us ineffective. Right. So, yeah, so that's, that's my, that's my thing. And, uh, you know, I had to run out and close the, the gate on the fence, right? And a workman on my deer fence at one point, he said, so what do you do? And <laughs> it just popped out of my mouth. I teach women how to not be mean to men. And I teach men how to not make women want to be mean to them. Well, <laughs> we're going to have a great conversation. I, I could already see this. I love it. I love it. I want to throw something out there, though. Okay. Right? You said, and listen, I'm not here to play devil's advocate, but you okay. said what you call an impossible promise. Yeah. Now, if you didn't set that impossible promise, and this is why I actually think you're, why what you did is a major success, because if you didn't set that impossible promise, who knows how far you would have actually got with the work you've done in that regard, right? Like, so let's say you, you wanted to, you know, take five people off the street, right? You, you wanted to help five people. Great. And you just helped five people. But now with your work, maybe there's no number to it, but maybe you help 10,000 people, right? So that's why I view that as a success. Well, again, you can, there's so many different ways to measure it. Sure. And, you know, a long time ago, I I was told in India, if you... If you change the life of one person, you're considered a saint. Correct. Um, I don't know which religion that is, but it part of being human is measuring importance, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things, way to one of the ways to look at it, because this has a profound effect on our lives, is that human beings are both pack animals and herd animals, and that's important because pack animals are predators right think wolves right herd animals are prey think horses for example which i've been studying for a very long time and using them to learn about human beings so we have we're both predator and prey if you look at how human beings operate we're both predator and prey and as pack and as herd the concept of status is essential to life Mm. so for example in a herd of horses the female with the highest status uh is the one that leads everybody to water leads everybody to feed is the one that gets uh, the best shelter um she actually gets to occupy the most space so that she can see the furthest right um i mean i could talk about all these different animals basically the highest status you get first access to food and water and shelter Mm. and in in the herder pack um the lower your status the more meager all of those things are it to the extent that you may get none and and then add on top of that um the right to breathe so both 
packs and herds have status as a criteria for breeding. Mm. Um, female horses, uh, if they don't have enough status with the other females in nature, like in the wild, they wouldn't be allowed to breed. They, they literally break her ribs before they let her be bred by the stallion. Um, he, human women are a lot like this. Right. <laughs> this is why pubescent girls are so consumed with what other girls think of them, because mm-hmm. it's really the women who vote on who's good enough for you. That's and so yeah, right. And if you think of like a wolf pack, only that unless it's a bountiful year only the alpha male and female get to breed. Nobody else does. So the number one driving instinct in all of nature, procreate, depends on status. Wow. In packs and herds, right? Which human beings are. So so one of the things that we pay attention to and we're consumed by is importance. How important are we? And how important are we relative to another person? Mm. And I see it even amongst what you would consider my my peers, which are leaders in the realm of transformation, right? So mine happens to be primarily considered the area of relationships, which is part of it, but not all of it. Other people are focused on performance or on consciousness or, right? So there's this whole area of transformation. Well, you'd think if your field is higher consciousness that you wouldn't care about lower consciousness things like the measurement of how many people <laughs> have you impacted how many books have you sold right. right like how many butts did you put in the chair how many people showed up to your course or signed up for your podcast but it's such a human concern mm. it, that it affects everybody including right. people who you would think most not care and and that's what the commitment i made when i was 28 years old it that's what it made a difference in because the only number that i bring myself back to is yes and how many children died of starvation today right and and so i just keep going and i just keep going and keep going because if i can transform the relationship between men and women i think everything on the planet will get handled because all we need is the time and energy to do it. And all this infighting consumes that. Yeah, I totally get it. So you've piqued my interest in so many different levels. Uh, <laughs> like I, I wish I had 10 hours with you instead of one. Um, so my first question next? <laughs> my first question is actually with, with something you touched on. I'm curious, like you talked about, um, you know, teaching men how to not you know, make women be mean to you and also teaching women how to not be mean to men, which comes first, right? Because uh, I mean, I think I'm at a point in my life and I, I don't mind. I speak about this very openly. The last woman I was dating, she's amazing. I would love to marry her, but she was very mean to me. She didn't treat me the way that I deserve to be treated. Right. So now me as a male, I have to do what I have to do to make sure I heal so that I don't hurt the next woman I'm with. Right. Like there's, there's a cycle and you might correct me, you know, you might give me your take on that, but I see a cycle and I feel like someone can, you know, put the, you know, the, the pin there so that it doesn't keep going. But I'm curious, like, which comes first? Is it, you know, or is it both? The good news is we each have a part. Mm. 
Um, so neither men or women are responsible for the whole dynamic and we each have a part. And if we do our part, the dynamic dissolves. Mm. And what I mean by that is, um, I'll just put it in the simplest terms. And I have hours of online courses distinguishing all this and all the ways it shows up. But the first thing is, is that men, you, you don't know that you're scary. Mm. Am I scary? Well, yeah, because you're a man. Really? What what makes us scary? Well, see, see what I mean by you don't know you're scary? I mean, my husband cried when I told him I was afraid of him because that was unthinkable to him. Um, And he would never want me to be afraid of him. Correct. Um, But he was scary. Well, from an instinctual standpoint, okay, which it's one of the things human beings try to pretend we don't have, but they run our lives unless we're aware of them. And then we get to choose something else, but you are bigger than me. Mm. And even if you weren't bigger than me, you would still be stronger than me because of the effects of testosterone. And you can use that strength to protect me, or you can use that strength to overcome me. Mm. And that's what women are unconsciously always paying attention to. Are you a protector or an attacker? Are you a protector or an attacker? Are you a protector and attacker? It's it's a macro program in the limbic part of our brain is constantly monitoring our safety in any environment. And in most, the biggest threat in the environment are men. Mm. But men don't, you don't think you're scary. You're not trying to be scary except for when you are, (laughs) right? To to produce a result. And you are almost never trying to be scary to women. You you love us. You cherish us. You're in awe of us. Why would you want to scare the bejesus out of this? Well, you don't do it on purpose. You're just being you. You're just fulfilling your own instincts. So, for example, um, what testosterone does to the brain is it compartmentalizes it. Mm. And and this is what this is what allows for single focus. So the moment you commit yourself to a particular result, your brain screens out everything it considers irrelevant to that result. You don't have to tell it to do it. You don't have to ask it to do it. You don't have to meditate to do it. You don't have to, (laughs) you know, take time for you to do it, Um, except for when you're transitioning from one focus to another. Your brain screens out everything that's relevant. Well, sometimes, a lot of the times, you screen us out. Mm. Uh, We're considered irrelevant to what you're working on. Our needs, our desire to connect, our um, we're watching you really closely and you're not watching us back. And so just you being focused on something else has us think I'm unprotected right now. Right. Nobody's guarding the door. If a tiger came right now, you wouldn't even notice. This is why women hate video games, for example. And tell me that. Don't tell me that. (laughs) Yeah, I try to teach them to learn from video games because they're great teachers. But but video games are designed to be captivating. To, to be utterly worth doing right? and to everything that lights you up. And, and I tell women to learn from it. Okay. Just pay attention to a video game. Hey, you make any move at all. You get a point. 
<laughs> Any move, you get a point. Reward effort, okay? B, you take a bigger risk. You take a bigger risk, you get a bigger payoff. Right. <laughs> okay, take note of that, right? C, you fall off a cliff. Uh, nobody cuts off sex for two weeks. <laughs> nobody chews you out. Nobody said you're a blooming idiot. No, you press the reset button and you get to play again. And you get to keep working and getting better at it without anybody pointing out to you how bad you are at it because you're already doing that for yourself enough. Oh, I should have done that better. Oh, I could have done that better. Give me another chance. Right? And then last but not least, <laughs> nobody forces you to the next level. Mm. The video game does not say go to the next level or we won't let you play anymore. Women do that all the time. <laughs> right, 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 right. Either take your profile off of the dating app or I'm not going to see you again, right? Either we're exclusive or we're nothing. You're going to get married or we're over. We drag men to the next level before you're like, let me at it. I know I can win that one. That's worth winning. I want to get, I want to get married. That's the next challenge in my life, which for a lot of men it is. And they would love it if someone let them play it like a video game. Right. But back to my original point, when you guys are focused on something else, we get scared. We get really, we get scared. And it's this primal tension in our bodies and our brain starts saying things are the amygdala, which is the worry center of the brain. And it's bigger in women and twice as active as men. It starts hallucinating and just showing up just all these pictures of what could happen. And if we think you're also mad at us, right? We figure if you're mad at us, <laughs> I mean, the way I put it before is you're, you'll seriously like you want mustard with her, like just take her away, right? We don't know that even mad at us, you would protect us because that's who you are. Mm -hmm. we, we think we have to be attractive to you. We have to be appealing to you. you have, we have to please you all the time or you're just going to let the tiger eat us. We don't know you're not wired that way. And I mean, the really terrible thing is we're, we are afraid of that because we're like that. Mm. You know, we're pissed at our best friend. We'll reveal her secrets. We will, we will, we won't protect her anymore. We'll right. betray her. Right. That's how we're wired to survive. Um, unfortunately, but that's what our instincts have us do. Right. And so we project, women project onto men that you're like me and you would do what I would do. And it's also why we attack you and criticize you. Whatever you didn't do, we assume you didn't do it for the reason I wouldn't do it. Mm. Right. I don't care enough about you to have done that. I don't respect you enough to have done that. So we take all of our motivations and we project them onto men. And then we, we literally Matt, and you know, this, we try to hold you to account, right? So we are, we are adamant that we're right, that you did do this for that reason. And any denials on your part, you're just a lion sack. Mm. 
<laughs> and why won't you just admit it, you SOB? They were so <laughs> righteous about how we see things. We're just, we're just dead certain that you did it for the reason we think, and that then that reason means that you don't love me enough, you don't care about me enough, you don't respect me enough, and you should be punished. Right, right. And and so, I mean, this is what I've been doing since 1995 is just showing this to women that what if everything you think is true about men isn't? What if all the reasons you project onto men aren't true? Right. What if they don't do things for the reasons you and I do things? And... And I know it because I, it's what I went and researched. How was I bringing out the worst in men? And I found out it started with all the assumptions I have that you're like me. Mm. And, and so what happens is you just be a man and then I attack you. I attack you because I'm scared. I'm scared and I'm frustrated. So I criticize you and I come after you. Well, what does a man do when he's attacked? He protects himself. So it makes it worse, right? Instead of protecting me, now you have to protect yourself from me. And so what happens when you do that? You get called a narcissist. Mm. That's what's happening these days. Men are being called narcissists for protecting themselves, from shutting down, from not providing for women because they're so busy protecting themselves from women. Mm. And it's just, God, it's so sad. It's so sad because it's, we're, I don't know if we're meant to be or we're made this way, but when you look at us at our best, men men and women at our best, when I'm at my best, I'm going to bring out your best. And when you're at your best, you can bring out my best. And so we're either in this upward spiral or we're in a downward spiral. And Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't have any holding pattern. Right, right, right. Unfortunately. Why does it seem so complex though? Like, does it have to be so complex or can it be simplified? You know, like I, I just feel like, so, and you know, maybe I'll give an example. Let me go deeper. You were talking about focus, right? And this is really on my mind here. You And by the way, if you see me looking down, I promise I'm taking notes. Uh, I want to make sure that I'm a student. Like I said, I'm a student here. Uh, you, know, you, you were talking about focus and I've experienced that when I, and I mean, I think my mind moves at a million one miles per minute. You know, I could be super focused on my work, but I could also pay attention to the woman I'm dating. Right. So I feel like when I have devoted focus to my woman, maybe more than I should have at times that might not have scared her, but it it turned her off. Does that make sense? So I don't know if if there's like ma- like women taking on too much masculine energy. Um, I, I don't know what it is, to be honest. I'm curious if you've had any research or anything of that nature in regards to stuff like that, where the kind of like the roles were reversed in a sense. Okay, well, you asked if we're complicated, and then you asked a complicated question. <laughs> Did I? Okay. <laughs> Well, listen, it, it sounds yeah, but, like a- <laughs> but, it, but it's okay. It's all good. So, all right, let me unpack it. First of all, the phrase, maybe women have taken on too much masculine energy. Um, 
that's not voluntary. I, I agree. I agree. Okay. So, so, so women have survived forever by being pleasing. And so we are hypersensitive to what is pleasing in any environment, in any herd, right? In any pack, in any community, in any family, in any relationship, in any company, we're super sensitive to it. And in first world countries, what is paramount is accomplishment, right? Status and accomplishment, productivity, importance, that's what is considered paramount. So women, without even trying, we're so adaptable, we don't have to work at it. Without even trying, women have become more productive, have become more driven to produce results. Now, what's hard about this is estrogen creates a different kind of consciousness than testosterone. And probably your best access to this, Matt, is think about when you don't have a result to produce, when you're actually relaxed, when you're at play, right? So we call this gathering mode. It's the opposite of focus. It's uncommitted. And that's what it requires. You have to be uncommitted to anything. Just, you might just be checking out, hmm, what now? And you had, there's a kind of availability in your consciousness that to women is really attractive in that moment because then we feel connected and we feel safe. Imagine though, that you have this awareness of your environment in the mental and emotional and physical and energetic states of everything in your environment and you need to produce a result. Mm. But everything in your environment is distracting you. Everything in your environment is saying, I'm relevant. What if you didn't, if your brain didn't have the ability to screen out? There was actually a study where a bunch of men took estrogen, heavy doses of estrogen, and it reformatted their brains, reconfigured them. And within a few days, they all either outright quit or begged to be off of it because it was driving them crazy, the amount of input they were receiving. Wow. And they were just becoming like a woman. (laughs) Yeah. And so, I mean, we have a course, it's called Understanding Women, and it's 11 hours of what's it like to be a human being, excuse me, what is it like to be a human being that is most of the time trying to produce results just like any other hunter, right? We call it hunting mode. When you're committed, you have a deadline, you got to get stuff stuff done, Um, but your consciousness isn't meant for that. It's meant to walk into the meadow and be able to keep track of all the possibilities in the meadow of what can be eaten, what can be made into something, right? What could be beautiful because your your tribe is successful and so you can pay attention to beauty and also keep track of uh-oh, that tree's out of place. Where's the bear that moved it? Right, right, right. Right? I mean, our consciousness tracks things out of place all the time. This is why when men ask us, where is my fill in the blank? We know because it was out of place. 
And so it's just, so we have this natural consciousness and we're trying to, we don't even try to force ourselves. We just are forcing ourselves Mm -hmm. to do whatever it takes to produce the result while battling the distractions that our brain keeps us aware of in order to manage our safety. Right. Which is one of the reasons, by the way, if you, if a woman has a man around that she knows she can count on, like he's got my back, she'll be more productive. Mm. She'll just naturally be more productive because she, because he's managing her safety. She can just get it done. Right. I love that. I, yeah, I could go on and on about this, but it's really um, so many things add up to the situations that we end up in. And another thing about what you were talking about, Matt, is it's scary to us as women when you are looking to us to fill you up. Mm. Just as it's scary to men for a woman to be looking to you to get filled up. Right? We come to each other half full swimming pools. (laughs) And we all want to be full. So I'm going to drain your pool or you're going to drain mine. Right, right. And that's like, that's where the trouble begins. That we're paying inadequate attention to our own well-being to, well, my favorite word lately is overflow. Mm. To have our lives feed us who we really are so that we can overflow onto another person. We can we are ourselves in an overflowing. That's when life feels effortless when you're overflowing. But to to be overflowing, you actually gotta fill the pool. Mm. And this is one of the ways that relationships can be detrimental, right? Because we'll keep each other up too late. And we won't get enough sleep or no, I don't want Matt. Don't go out for a run. Why do you got to go for a run every day? Stay here with me. Keep me company. I have so many things to tell you and I want you to just listen. Right. right, right. <laughs> right so we, we get in relationship and, and that chemistry, that connection, that, that feeding frenzy, um, we stop doing the things that make us great in the first place, that make us ourselves. And and we have to have the discipline of, I love you. I'll see you when you get back from your run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I always want to be with you. And I know you need to be alone. So I'm leaving the house now. Right? Right. <laughs> Just, yeah, it's important. I, oh, it's so important, but it's not natural to do. This is not natural to do. And we have to do it or we end up, you know, so many times as men, I've been in that position. You guys have worn yourself out with your accomplishments and you're producing, 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 producing. And there's even a matter of pride of, say, how little sleep you need, for example, um, which has devastating effects on a man's well-being to not get enough sleep. Um, sleep is how your own body produces testosterone, mm. which is the source of ambition. It's the source of focus. It's the source of a sense of well-being. It's the source of sex drive. And you, you get caught in this 
cycle of the ambition causes you to overcommit and and drive each other to produce, and then your body is not actually making the hormone that fuels all that, but you try to keep doing it anyway, and then you're depleted, and you... And there's this sparkling woman, you know, and she's happy and energy's just radiating off of her. And <laughs> and that moment is really scary for us. Yeah. Yeah. I could imagine. I could imagine. I love this. I, I, I realize I could listen to you forever. Uh, I, I know I only have a few more minutes with you. So you've done these podcasts, shows, et cetera, many times over. I'm curious, what is a question you wished more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, I do about a, a hundred interviews a year. I love right? that. Like, like at least, um, I mean, the way I like to say it is I'm, I'm just, I'm a slut. I, <laughs> I just, I, I give it away because I want to. Right? Right. Um, and I think that's what's, what's really fun though, are podcasts. Because before podcasts, all my interviews were with established radio shows right. who had a format they had to keep to, a timeline they had to keep to. Um, an audience, a rep, right? All these things. And I mean, I love Dennis Prager, right? I've been doing his show for 17 years and I re-amplify each other really well. Um, but it, we don't get to vary that much, right. you know? And in podcast land, my, my favorite thing is that I keep getting new questions. <laughs> Just like that question that you asked me, what do I wish people would ask? No one's ever asked me that. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> They've really never, ever asked me that. Um, so I don't even know the answer. I, I think I get, the, I get the biggest kick out of you asking what matters to you um, rather than trying to anticipate what matters to your audience. Right. Right. Because when you're asking from you, like that's the heart, that's the that's the connection, that's the that's the meat, you know, where's the beef? Right. Uh, it's in what you care about. Sure. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I, I asked that question never to stump anyone, but because, you know, as you mentioned, you do 100 plus shows a year. Right. You've probably been doing that for many years over. And, <laughs> you know, I, I don't ask it in, in, a, in a way that is um, I mean, it's a selfish question. Right. And, and every time I've ever asked that question, which I do rather often, to be honest, the response is always I, I've just never thought about that. Right. And uh, I mean, you're not selfish. Clearly, you're here. You're giving away all this information. You're not selfish whatsoever. So regardless, I didn't ask to stump you, but I'm glad that it was a question um, that you've never been asked before. That's a compliment. And I appreciate that. Uh, that's definitely amazing. So what I will ask you then is. I guess going back to what I've already asked you, um, 
how can this be simplified, right? For someone walking away from this interview right now, like I just, listen, I mean, I'm hopeful I'm getting married. I'm 28 years old. I'm hopeful I'm going to meet the one. I haven't necessarily met a woman that's on my level of consciousness. I am a very conscious man. I've done a lot of work on myself. I, you know, I've removed a lot of suppressed events in my life and whatnot. So personally, uh, and I, I know a lot of our audience can, you know, can relate to this because we talk about this often, but, um, hearing some of these things, it's kind of just like, not necessarily overwhelming, but I'm like, holy shit, do I need to navigate through this now? Do I need to navigate through that? Do I need to navigate like just a lot going on? So like, what's the simple approach? Is there one? Is there one? Maybe that's the better question. Well, I am known for, for being really practical. Okay. For breaking things down to what you can do, right? And um, and I I've done that with area after area after area, right? And like in understanding women, we teach you how you can tell just by watching how a woman moves, whether she's in hunting mode or gathering mode, mm. because what will work with her depends on if she's in hunting mode or gathering mode. And, and we teach women, for example, to pay attention to what is he focused on now? What is he focused on now? What is he focused on now? And we also teach women to respect whatever he's focused on now. He chose it. It's worth focusing for him. So if you're going to interrupt, do that respectfully. I'm sorry to interrupt. You guys are awesome when we own that we're interrupting. Mm. If we just interrupt, your ability to produce results was just diminished, right? You have a loss of power if when we just interrupt. When we're respectful about interrupting, we actually are giving you something like in that moment, right? Um, so you end up okay or better off. Um, Ay, ay, ay. Okay. I'm just going to tell you this part and maybe it'll help. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. Um, if you, if you want to get to the, like the, the beginning, okay. The beginning of a hundred different, maybe a thousand different behaviors that human beings arrive at. The beginning would be what I would call the hierarchy of instincts. Okay. And the hierarchy is procreate, then protect, then provide. And this hierarchy of procreate, then protect, then provide exists both as a whole set of instincts, right? But it also exists in expressions that are choices, what I would call human spirit. Mm. And so procreate, for example, in instinct, um, yes, it's sex, it's babies, and it's legacy, mm. right? That That's instinctual to create a legacy. Um, and procreate trumps everything. I mean, you, you can, this is why we need to be taught to have safe sex, because procreate trumps protect. We don't protect our own lives. Mm. Um, every species risks their lives to procreate. So 
this, if you look at where am I in my life right now, are you in a very creative energy? Are you generating a lot? If you're generating a lot, if you're creating a lot, you're probably not protecting your own well-being. Mm -hmm. You're probably not protecting your own resources. You're not protecting what you built in the past. You're, you're risking everything for what you're creating. And you can do that instinctually, like compelled and driven and frantically, or you can do that consciously. You can do that by stopping and going, okay, so I'm about to, I'm about to rewrite the Queen's Code. So that's a creative process for me. I'm in danger of betting everything on it and forgetting everything else and not protecting my well-being and to heck with providing for other people. I'm just going to disappear and create, create, create. I'm going to channel the second edition of this book. All right. So that's what I naturally do. Now, how could we make some choices that would prevent the, the disaster of that? Right. Um, so when you're aware right, of what creation does. Right. And then like in a relationship, if you're aware that creation is chaos. So if you're in a relationship with somebody who craves certainty, Right now, you're in create, you're in procreate, and they're in protect. <laughs> and they might be trying to protect all of life from the chaos that you are. Look at the conflict that creates, right? But we can look at yourself. Okay, where in my life am I in creation? Where in my life am I in protection? Where in my life am I in provide? That I have ample, that I'm overflowing, that I get to give away, that I get to take care of people. And provide is also an instinct. So where am I providing and sacrificing myself to do it? Both men and women do this all the time. Right. Okay, so where am I providing because I decided they needed something? That's also instinctual. Hmm, maybe I could make a conscious choice and ask them, this thing I've been doing for you, would you have me spend my energy that way? Is that what you really need from me? This happens all the time between men and women. We we project onto the other what they need. We make a plan to provide it. We sacrifice ourselves to provide it. And then we try to suck the energy back in the form of appreciation. Mm. But what if they didn't want it in the first place? Right, right, right. Right. So if you want to just start paying attention to the heart of the matter, it would be procreate, then protect, then provide. And... And if we want to look at where we're at in relationship, we all want to be in the space of provide. We want to be on the other side of someone who's overflowing. Mm. And we want to be received by someone. When we're overflowing, what hurts is to not be received. Mm. So if there's lots of appreciation and what I call, you know, it's the warmer, colder, hot game. We're giving each other clues. Oh, yeah, that's totally it. Oh, you're almost there. Oh, just a little to the left. Oh, I just need it to be redder. Oh, I just like clues. We just keep giving clues instead of you idiot. Why didn't you get the right red? Right. So <laughs> if I mean, if you think about the warmer, colder, hot game, did you play it when you were a kid? Yeah, when I was a kid, I definitely did. Yeah. Well, you weren't wrong. It was just warmer, warmer, colder, colder, warmer, colder, warmer. They're just clues. They're not full of emotion right. and recrimination, right? They're just clues. And 
if we did that relationship, we gave clues, we asked for clues, we gave permission to give clues. This is how, this is how, I mean, technically you call my boyfriend, right? We call each other adventure buddies and playmates. And we're, it's extraordinary because we give each other clues and we ask, okay, so how do I do with that? (laughs) Coach me. How can I be better at it? And I mean, within a very short period of time, we became the best lovers we've ever had, right? And I was married for almost 30 years. Right. So so how do you do that? A lot of clues and a lot of openness to clues and willingness, right, to improve your ability to provide without any criticism so you don't throw somebody back to protect, mm. right? Protect trumps provide. So anytime someone's not being generous with you, uh-oh, How did they end up in protect? Why are they protecting themselves? Did I criticize? Did I fail to appreciate? There's so many things you can take just from that hierarchy. So much awareness and and prevent disaster from happening. For sure. I love it. I love it. Allison, you're going to have to come back for round two. I know I only have three more minutes with you. I want to make sure I'm respecting your time. This has been phenomenal. I've learned an absolute ton. Um, I'm going to make sure all of your social handles, uh, websites, where people can get courses and all that good stuff is in the show notes of this episode. But very quickly, do you have anything going on that you want to make people aware of that we might not have talked about? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, you wanted it to be simplified, right? So um, for the second time, I'm doing my newest course. Okay. Um, And it's so it's live. It's on webinar. There's replay. You end up being able to watch it as many times as you want. Um, If you ever wanted to pause me in the last hour. (laughs) (laughs) And it really breaks down relationships. And, and what are the components really in reality of relationship? Because people are mystified by them and they seem really complicated. Well, what if there's only three elements? Mm. What if there's only three and if you pay attention to those three and most people pay attention to the least important of the three, we always wonder, how do you say it, right? But how do I say that? How do I ask for that? How do I say it? Speaking is the least important. Mm. And, and so we affect these three things. How are you being? How are you listening? And how are you speaking? Because that is what's going to produce the result in every context. So it's called LUX, and it stands for Liberation, Understanding, and Extraordinary Relationships. I love that. And it's super fun, but it's also, it can be confronting because we use neuroscience to learn very quickly. And what that means is we take things that are unconscious and we blow them up so that they become conscious. And we do that by doing what we do unconsciously, consciously, loudly, with a lot of variation. We do it on purpose. Right. So can I give you an example? Please do. Listen, I I have all the time in the world for you. I just don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure I'm respecting your time. Okay. Well, there's stuff I have to do, but at least let me give you all something to work on. Cool. Okay. So human instincts have human beings listen with a pretty narrow range of questions in their head. So a really common one is, what do I think about that? 
right? Someone's talking about a subject and in their head, the question is, well, what do I think about that? What do I think about that? What do I think about that? Or what do I want to say about that? What do I want to say about that? What do I want to say about that? Or do I agree? Do I agree? Do I agree? Do I think they're right? Are they right? Are they right? Are they right? Right? So with these questions in our head, who are we actually listening to? Mm. (laughs) We're listening to the answers to that question in our head. Well, what do I think about that? What do I think about that? What do I think about that? So people who think they're really good listeners usually suck. They are looking like they're listening to you, but they're not listening to you. They're listening to the, their own question in their head. And it leaves us ineffective. We know more about ourselves at the end of every conversation than we do about the person across from us. Right. We know what we think. We know what we feel. We know whether or not we agree. We know what we know, right? We know more about us because that's who we were listening to. So one of the things that we teach are these varieties of ways to listen that are much more effective, Mm. where you're actually listening to the other person. And one of them, for example, is is called, we call it listening to learn. And what you're wanting to learn is what matters to this person. So you're actually in a treasure hunt. Mm about them instead of about you. So they're talking and they could be talking about something that's so boring. You, you really would like to escape, but you, maybe you can't escape. So you shift to listening. Well, what matters to them? What really matters to them? What really matters to them? And you're on this treasure hunt, right? It's like this mystery. What matters to them? And they, they could be talking about, I don't know. Some people think golf is terrible. Right. Um, they could be talking about politics, they, whatever you think is terrible. You could be listening to that, but you're on this treasure hunt for what matters to them. And lo and behold, you actually hear it for the first time in your life. You understand your mom. You finally heard what matters to her, what's driving all her decisions that all this time has been mystifying. She just seemed crazy. And now it just presented itself like a lump of gold. Right. Just by shifting the question in your own head Mm. to one that's about them instead of one that's about me. I love that. I love that. That's awesome. That is amazing. I love it. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I will reach out to your team to make sure we have a link for that as well. So we could put that in the show notes of this episode. But Allison, I just wanted to say thank you again. I absolutely love you. I love this conversation. I am going to make sure we have you back on because I could ask you a million and one more questions. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Likewise, likewise. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 183, the Decoding Success podcast featuring Allison Armstrong. As I just mentioned, all of her contact information from her social media channels to her website to her programs and everything in between can be found in the show notes of this episode. On top of that, you can also find a link to the YouTube channel where you are able to subscribe to our show. We are releasing all the video content from every episode we've ever done on the YouTube channel 
channel. We got so many requests that we want to watch. We want to watch. We want to watch. Well, now you can watch and we want to make sure that you are subscribing there so that you can continue getting value, whether it's video form or audio form or anything in between. On top of that, make sure you're sharing this episode. If you're still listening to this episode, you clearly found it to be a value. Make sure you're sharing it with the people in your circle. And until next time, everyone be blessed. Peace.